Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast. In today's pre-launch episode, we will be giving you an overview of St. Augustine and this, his masterwork. Well, I suppose he has many masterworks, but this is one of them, the Confessions. So let's start first with St. Augustine. Father Jacob Bertrand, St. Augustine, pro or con? In general? (laughs) Uh, Pro, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great answer, great answer. Thanks for tuning into this pre-launch episode, and we're ready to go. (laughs) Um, So St. Augustine, as many of you listening will already know, is a doctor of the church, one of these great pillars of orthodoxy. He is the author most cited in the Catechism after the Sacred Scriptures, but one to whom we look often, uh, one to whom we look with confidence for the clarification of the faith. So, uh, Father Jacob Bertrand, let's start this introduction. Who is St. Augustine? What are some salient features? Great. Okay. So St. Augustine, he's from Tagast in North Africa, uh, which is present day Algeria. He died in 430. I guess I should have said he was born first, born in 354, died in 430. And at that time in the church uh, or in history, there was a great presence, Catholic and Christian presence in in Northern Africa. So St. Augustine is one of the great saints from Northern Africa during that period of Christian growth and expansion into the African continent. Um, He was born to um, obviously parents. He had had parents. Uh, His mother, Monica, St. Monica, she was Catholic and his father, Patricius, is a pagan. So there's, as we'll read and as we get into the confessions through the episodes of the season, of the second season, we'll read more about St. Monica's role in his life and his relationship with his his mother and with his, his father. Both played a significant role in Obviously, they're his parents, so they played a significant role, but a significant role in his life and his formation and and the way he lived and his conversion, these sort of things. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with with St. Monica and, and her intercession for, for her son. There's a really, it's a beautiful um, story there. So I'm excited to talk more about that as the episodes come. And then as a young man, St. Augustine was well-educated. He studied in a number of different places. He studied poetry, literature, rhetoric, you know, the art of speaking and, and argument making. And yeah, it, the intellectual life for, for Augustine was important, learning and, and wisdom and these sort of things. So that that kind of leads, I, well, I, before we jump to the, his being a doctor of the church, any any other biographical tidbits you think are are interesting or helpful or good, Father Gregory. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's kind of a a who's who, or he provides us, his life provides us a kind of who's who of the Roman Empire of that time, insofar as, you know, he is well-educated and he's well-connected and he's, you know, taking on these public posts as an orator, as a rhetor. And so we see him, you know, in Northern Africa and Tagast and Carthage, which I think would be, you know, like present-day Tunisia. And then he, you know, he is across the, the Mediterranean Sea there for a time in Rome and in Milan. So, it's very fascinating insofar as he gives us a kind of thumbnail sketch of what's going on at the end of the Western Roman Empire, because, you know, as we know, the barbarians are coming, right? Or the, the Visigoths or the Ostrogoths, depending on the region, the Herulians, depending on the city itself. Uh, so you'll see gradual defeats in 410 and 430 and 476. So it's a, it's a kind of precious time and it's a precious look into Christianity of antiquity. So let's turn then to St. Augustine, the doctor of the church. Yeah, what about his life and legacy are so important? What about his sanctity do you find still applicable here today? Yeah, the the doctors, so the doctors of the church are 
I was going to say a type of saint that makes it sound like a type of wine or something like that, you know, but like <laughs> that they're, they're saints who the church recognizes that they in some way contributed to the sort of teaching, the writings, the understandings, the expounding of the mysteries of Christ and the living of the Christian life. So they're not doctors in the medical sense, but sort of doctors of, of faith in that kind of way. And Augustine is one of these men and women who is, who's been called, labeled, given the title of doctor of the church. And this is in part because of the vastness of what he wrote, but also his his great defense of the faith and teaching on the faith. But I would also say because of his, and we'll get this in the confessions and in other places if you read St. Augustine, but because of his great sort of spiritual writing too, the way by which he sort of draws us in into the spiritual life, into our relationship with Christ. And one of the big things, I think this is probably like headliner, right, of St. Augustine's writings, and especially in the Confessions, as the Confessions is autobiographical about his conversion, is is just that, the conversion, his conversion, his big conversion, the story of, of how he came to Christ and then became a bishop of the church and then you know, defended the faith and, and all of these things. So that's, I think, really at the center of Augustine's life. He's a great prelate. He was a great orator. He was a great writer. But in the end, he was a great lover of Christ. And and I think that's one of the most beautiful ways to see Augustine. And all that he did was a great lover of Christ and and shows us in ways how, how to love Christ well and, you know, in, in similar ways that are directed and appropriate to us. Yeah. I think one way of thinking of the church's deposit of faith or of, you know, the revelation of God communicated to us for our salvation in the life of grace uh, is that you have it all, right, in our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll say that the, the period of public revelation ends with the death of the last apostle, but then the church continues to to set forth icons or excellent examples of interpretation, of communication, you know, like ultimately the living of that teaching, and that's what you have in the fathers of the church, in the doctors of the church, and the saints, each in his or her own way. So like when we talk about the fathers of the church, we're talking about somebody who's who pertains to the first ages of the church, who's holy, who's orthodox, right, who lives an exemplary life which receives the approbation of the church. And in the case of the doctors, we're talking about somebody whose teaching, whose doctrine, uh, was able to pull forth or draw forth from that deposit of faith a particular vantage or a particular perspective um, that has enriched us who are downstream and enabled us to engage more profitably with God, you know, and his revelation. And so in the case of St. Augustine, that's true, you know, utmostly. Uh, so when we think about the doctors of the church, there's these four Eastern doctors of the church who kind of receive status or receive recognition as doctors uh, from the outset, and there you'll think of St. Athanasius, St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great, and St. Gregory of Nazianzus, and then you have a kind of foil in the West, right? So we're talking about, when we talk about East and West, we're not talking about the Far East, like China or Japan, we're talking about the East in the sense of, like, Egypt and the Middle East and, you know, Turkey, present-day Turkey, places like that, but like the Greek-speaking world in effect. And then in the West, you have the four great Latin doctors of antiquity, who would be St. Ambrose, who we'll hear about in the Confessions, St. Jerome, who is in somewhat of a continual conversation with St. Augustine himself, and then St. Augustine, and then St. Gregory the Great. Uh, so those would be the four big Latin doctors, and then, you know, as Dominicans, we can't help but mention that St. Thomas Aquinas is proposed as the common doctor, right, a most, a most excellent doctor, but there are still, you know, another 20-something doctors to be added uh, along the ages of the Church's history. So St. Augustine is proposed to us in this way as one who is, you know, antique, 
who is holy, who is orthodox, who receives the approbation of the church, and who has enriched us in particular ways. Are there things in our approach to the confessions, are there particular teachings that come through uh, most clearly or most poignantly in our reading of this text so that we can anticipate that? Yeah, we've distilled not just the confessions, Father Gregory and I, but St. Augustine wrote something like 5.5 million words in his lifetime. So Father Gregory and I have distilled every word that St. Augustine <laughs> has ever written in anticipation of this pre-launch episode so that we could bring it. bring it to you. But um, one of the things that, this, that you know is, is not unique about St. Augustine is that he teaches and elicits the faith in ways that, that really aren't unique to him or isn't unique to him, and that the church often declares things, whether it's in big ways, dogmatically, in response to issues or, or controversies, right? So, which the church has faced throughout the centuries. And and in, in St. Augustine's time, and for part of his life, he belonged to a sect called the Manichees. We're going to talk about that. And, and their sort of dualistic misunderstanding of the created and this the spiritual world. He was a pagan at times. Um, he, he argued against Pelagius and the Donatists. So all of these early church controversies that led him to teach and proclaim some of the core teachings of our faith. And to stand out, his teaching on grace and how grace works and how our Lord's grace works in our life, you know, the pouring forth of divine life into us, and also on predestination of, of how it is that God's will, God's carrying out of his will, of his design for things, interplays and interacts with our freedom and our free choice and how, and how our lives, we could say, and God's um, will kind of interact and come together. Um, so I think those stand out in, in huge ways. And what we see from the confessions is that St. Augustine's thoughts and writings and teachings on grace and predestination and a whole host of other things are not some sort of abstract kind of speculative exercise, but come from his own life, his own interaction and knowledge and relationship with Christ and his own experience, and particularly in his conversion and these sort of things. So uh, it's like real life experience coming to bear and coming to work on like the truth of who God is, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Because of sleep deprivation and short-term memory loss, I can't remember if we've already said this, but you know, in part for reasons that you said his focus on grace and predestination, St. Augustine is referred to as the doctor of grace. Uh, so we're going to see that come through uh, very powerfully in our reading of the Confessions, because you will see how God is in dogged pursuit of this, you know, of this man, of St. Augustine. Uh, and how the grace of God goes before him and fills up for what is lacking in all of his responses to that offer, and ultimately conducts him into the heart of the divine life itself. So it's very, how would you say, potent and beautiful. And I think that kind of leads us into another consideration, which is concerning the question of like why St. Augustine is so like inspirational, or why we continue to read the Confessions some 1,600 years after the fact. Uh, it doesn't seem like somebody from the Western Roman Empire who would have died centuries ago could remain a touchstone for our own journey in faith, for our own pilgrimage of grace. And yet that is the case because people just continue to read this book and they continue to be touched by it. They continue to be moved by it. So I don't know if that's been your experience or the experience of those with whom you've chatted about this book, but the confessions still applicable, still relatable. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to be a bit more hyperbolic and exaggerate the time between 
my existence and St. Augustine's existence to, I was going to say thousands and thousands of years ago, but it is just <laughs> like, it's not that long. You said 1600, so you kind of stole my thunder. But nonetheless, oh, it is clear. Yeah, you're good. Uh, nonetheless, it's clear, obvious that St. Augustine is not a contemporary saint. You know, he died in the year 430. So that was somewhere between 1600 and thousands and thousands of years ago. So why pick him up? Why read him? Like we could read him as a sort of um, just a theologian, but he's much more than just a theologian who wrote facts or things down. Yeah. And reading the confessions, I've read the confessions before, and then I've read parts like at different times, but in, in preparing and, and working on this second season to really sit down again and dive into the confessions. It's, I was, I was struck and I'm continually struck, uh, by, by how, uh, yeah, not to sound whatever cliche, but how relatable St. Augustine is, who has lived centuries and centuries and centuries ago in hearing about his own conversion, the way by which he struggled and the crosses he carried and the temptations that he dealt with, um, whether or not their mind is like a different question, you know, but this man who ended up being one of the greatest minds, one of the greatest saints who have ever walked this earth is yet still so human and so kind of yeah, in his own fallen nature, and his own, there's like, a, for me, there's kind of a beauty in that and reading his conversion, his love of the Lord, his desire of the Lord, but also through his brokenness, we see how the Lord works and how the Lord loves in that and draws, but also through this particular man who lived a real life. That sounds like whatever, but you know, who lived a real life, <laughs> who, yeah, walked on this earth, who lived in times that were less than ideal, and yet seeing our Lord at work in him. It's, yeah, there, there's just something human, which is kind of beautiful and draws me in. Yeah, and, and people will often say this by comparison to St. Thomas Aquinas. They'll be like, oh man, St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, cool things, true things, but it's so dry and it's so impersonal and his personality never comes through. And you can make arguments for that, but there are arguments for another day when our third season of Catholic Classics is reading the Summa Theologiae together. Just kidding. Um, yeah, but with, with St. Augustine, people will often comment on how relatable he is, like you said, uh, and how personal his style is. Now, that's not going to come through in every work, but it's going to certainly come through here in the Confessions because it's, in effect, the first autobiography of its kind. It's groundbreaking. Uh, it's genre-changing. And because, in part, of the the verve of the passion that he pours into it. So, like you said, he himself is very relatable, and, and you see that in an admission of his weakness, of his woundedness, which commends his humanity to your sympathy so that you can find in him something of your own relationship to Christ, either potentially or actually, you know, remains to be seen. But then there's the sense in which his engagement with the Lord, his engagement with these difficult questions through which he's trying to sort, it's almost like visceral. It's like got physical and emotional and psychological elements to it. And the way that he's able to sound the depths of his own understanding and to do so and to kind of like lay it bare to your own comprehension is a rare gift because, you know, if for those of you listeners who have attempted to like write poetry, for instance, you realize how difficult it is to communicate your thoughts with any clarity without it becoming just weather-worn and tired and kind of ugly. You know, it's like we look back at our high school poetry and we're like, yikes. But St. Augustine just has this tremendous, you know, dialectical and rhetorical capacity, and he sets it to good ends here in the Confessions. So then let's just turn briefly to the Confessions and then say a couple of words about this particular version of the Confessions, which Ascension Press has put out. So yeah, 
the confessions. We've already kind of touched on some of these things, why it's a classic of Christian spirituality. Obviously, we're dealing with a major figure. Um, we're at a crossroads, different important moments in the life of the empire and in the life of the church. You know, it's a kind of height of refinement, of literacy, of culture right before the collapse, which is uh, yeah, just around the corner or the river bend if you're Pocahontas. So I think like, yeah, what, what are other elements here of the confessions that you think, um, yeah, commend it for the reader who might be on the fence, who is yet undecided whether or not he or she will traverse the next however many days with us in this podcast. Yeah, there, it's undeniable. I mean, you already mentioned the use of St. Augustine in the Catechism as, as an example of how influential he was in shaping the faith and our understanding of the faith and of the, the mysteries of Christ. So I, I think it's worth even just considering the reality that so much of what we have in our tradition and in um, whether that's in the spiritual life or more sort of theological or moral life, but so much of that comes from St. Augustine or is founded on St. Augustine's thought. So even just by way of like getting to know the faith more and our Lord more, he's just there always, St. Augustine is. So uh, if you're looking for that to kind of beef up your knowledge of things, there's no better place to start. But also I think with the spiritual um, component, the conversion component of understanding, of getting a better understanding of how it is that our Lord not only works in St. Augustine's life, but our life too, of how our Lord loves us despite our weakness, despite our brokenness, how he heals us from that. Um, St. Augustine is, is just totally vulnerable in this, and um, we can just see it at work. So I think for both of those reasons, uh, it's important to have an understanding of St. Augustine because he just permeates. He's kind of like in the water of Catholic thought and spiritual life. Yeah, and as it concerns this particular text, the title of it might seem a little strange because Confessions is, what, ambivalent or polyvalent, which is to say that there are different levels at which the word signifies. It can it can mean a, a handful of different things, and you know how conscious is he of that, or what's he actually trying to suggest with this name? Well, St. Augustine is hyper-conscious of words and their use and their meanings. So you guessed it, he intends all of it. Um, so on the one hand, it's a confession of his faith in God, uh, and then it's also a confession of his past sins. So he's confessing to God about his past sins. He's cultivating a spirit of penitence so that he can motivate a deeper conversion in himself. But it's also a confession to his contemporaries. Um, so there would be some people at the time who didn't think him fit to serve as a bishop. So what we're hearing here is about his conversion. Shortly after his conversion, you know, he's living a monastic life, but he's ordained a priest. And then shortly after his ordination of the priesthood, he's ordained a bishop and then sent back to, you know, Northern Africa in service of the people, you know, that with whom he would have lived in his infancy, adolescence, and young life. So they're somewhat bewildered and bemused by the fact that this man, you know, who was a teenage father who lived a very outwardly sinful life when he was among them, left and, you know, came back, and now he's what? He's their bishop? So it's a confession in that sense, too. So it's to God about his sins, meant to be overheard by his contemporaries, not as like a rationalization or justification of what he did, but as a testimony to the fact that his conversion is sincere and that God can bring about the change which he promises in the sacred scriptures and through the life of Revelation and grace. So it's it's potent. And we're going to get into all the different other themes which are present in the text, of which there are many, as we kind of progress through it. But I think that gives us a, a kind of sense of what's at stake here. It's not just a straightforward recounting of historical fact, but that historical fact has a setting, and the setting's important. So then, Father Jacob Bertram, when you think about reading this text, things that you're grateful that you knew beforehand or things you wish you had known beforehand, any helpful tips for the social and political and cultural setting 
of you know 397 398 maybe up to like 400 when the confessions would have been written yeah so I, those dates kind of give away if you remember saint augustine died in 430 so he's writing the confessions his father gregory described at this point in his life but as far as his age he's he's about 40 ish years old you know so this is midlife kind of thing it's not an end of life there he still lives about another 30 plus years after so it's not a sort of deathbed kind of confession of life but a midlife kind of thing so i think i i don't know if before i've thought about that but I, that was helpful for me to see like okay this is this is the time in his life when he's looking back on the, his first kind of 40 years of where he is now i don't know if it makes a huge difference but yeah, helpful for like sort of contextualizing there. As far as what's going around at this time, the the sort of Roman Empire's post-Constantinian era. So that's all just to say that Christianity is legal at this time. It's no longer suffering under the persecutions as it was before um, Constantine made Christianity legal. We can think of the earlier persecutions of, of the Christians in Rome, especially under some of the emperors. But um, there, it's still not you know, not everybody is Christian, you know, even Augustine's own father is not Christian. And there are conversations in the text uh, as we read about the reality of, of Christians and pagans. And then he's a Manichae, this, this sort of sect for a while, but also the, the question of baptism. So St. Augustine talks about early on that, well, he's baptized later in life, and that's not a wholly uncommon thing um, for people. So he he lives as a catechumen for some time, one who's preparing for baptism, but not yet baptized. So there's a little different practice in the use of the sacraments than we might be used to. So that's just a helpful thing, I think, to point out. Um, anything else? I mean, those are just some things that were helpful. His age, the time, the sort of historical context, also this kind of sacramental ecclesial context, at least for St. Augustine in, in his life. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And I think, too, um, it's helpful to have the perspective of a later work that he wrote, which we'll make reference to as we go about commenting his text. Uh, so this work is called The Retractions. St. Augustine kind of gave us a bibliography of all the works that he wrote, and he'll tell us what he you know approves of and what he disapproves of, for lack of better terminology. And so we'll hear a little bit about that in the different episodes, which are queued up for you in coming weeks. But you should know that when he revisits this work, which he calls Confessions in 13 Books, that's the official title, Confessions in 13 Books, uh, he'll say that the first 10 books are about his life, and then the last three books are about sacred scripture and its interpretation. Um, so the 10th book, we'll, we'll comment on this when we arrive at the 10th book, it's strange because it, it starts to drift from the autobiographical genre, which he himself is trailblazing. And then the last three books are a deep dive on Genesis 1 and 2 and his interpretation of those and his kind of permission, as it were, for different interpretations of those texts, provided that they don't contradict the true faith or that they don't contradict each other in a way that calls one or the other into question. So, yeah, basically what we're looking at is a narrative sequence and then an interpretive sequence, and we'll see how the two are in conversation. But... In order to arrive there, we're going to have to traverse some some difficult parts. We won't insist too much on the difficulty of the text because you don't need to hear about that too much. You can just kind of experience it. Um, I think that we're you know we're sold on the fact that this is worthwhile, and so we're willing to you know work our way through a little bit of difficulty. But I don't know, Father Jacob Bertrand, when thinking about or when reading this text, any things that you think we should be forewarned and so forearmed about? Yeah, I mean, as as you were just saying with respect to the title. 
it's 13 books um, within within the book. So the books are broken down by chapters, but 13 books, it's a little lengthy. Um, it's not the longest thing that's ever been written, but it's also not, you know, it's not a little article. So it just kind of mentally preparing to dive in with us, to, to go along for the journey and, and um, see that through. It's also the case that, you know, sometimes there's technical language with respect to philosophy, with respect to like exegesis, the reading of the scriptures and that sort of thing. But that's, you know, don't, don't be intimidated by that if you're reading ahead because that's that's what we're here for that's the whole point of the Catholic Classics podcast is to is to dive into these texts together and and to make them what digestible palatable and these sort of things so um there isn't a test at the end and it's not a sort of exercise to become a, a St Augustine scholar or expert or that sort of thing but it's an opportunity to look at and to to enter into St Augustine's life and journey and and to be drawn into our lord through that. So those are a couple of things I would say is just don't be intimidated by any of it. Yeah. And to that end, know that this translation, the translation of the Ascension edition has been updated with a contemporary audience in mind by Matthew Minard, who teaches at the seminary or one of the seminaries in Pittsburgh. Maybe it's the only seminary in Pittsburgh. Regardless, he teaches at the Byzantine Catholic Seminary in Pittsburgh, and he does quite a bit with uh, translations and updating of translations to get good spiritual classics and contemporary theology out there uh, to the reading public. So he's performed a great service. Uh, Father Jacob Bertrand and I, we have written introductions to each book, which will kind of take you by the hand and lead you through the content which is to follow. So hopefully you find that helpful. They're meant to be little thumbnail sketches of the book entire so that you can have a particular spiritual perspective when approaching them and hopefully retain something more of their spiritual fruit. And then we've peppered in a couple of footnotes insofar as certain things about, you know, the fourth century are strange uh, or not. They're not the types of things that we would just take in stride and be like, oh, that's normal. At the very least, they just require a little bit in the way of translation. So yeah, and then Father Jacob Bertrand, you and I uh, had the books in our hands when we did a recording session with uh, with Ascension recently. So do you approve? Book, pro or con? Uh, like St. Augustine, I am pro St. Augustine, pro the book. So yeah, you should <laughs> grab a copy too, even if, you know, the, it's very handsome, even if you just listen to the podcast I have on your shelf. Um, but yeah, the cover is great. It's like put together really, really well, really beautifully, classically. It fits, it fits all things. And there's a really excellent, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised. I mean, I didn't expect something bad to be in there, but there's a really, really beautiful print of St. Augustine painted by Tiana Williams that's included in the front of the book. So when I opened it and thumbed through it. It was, yeah, I looked at that for a bit. It was really great. So I highly encourage getting your own copy. Yeah. And the Ascension folks kind of did a sneaky, you know, unboxing video. So they handed us the books and then recorded it, but we didn't know that we we're being recorded. So I was probably saying silly things or singing to myself or picking my nose, but regardless, they got their footage. They got their pound of flesh. Um, so that's all we have for you here in this third and final pre-launch episode. You might be saying to yourself, oh my gosh, how many pre-launch episodes are there? I need to actually start the podcast because otherwise I'm just going to be all tuckered out before we start reading the book. Well, fear not, we're done pre-launching. You, my friends, have been pre-launched. So join us for season two of Catholic Classics this fall. To follow along, get the reading plan at ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. God bless.